And if you'll take out God's Word in your hand, if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, you can turn to the back of your order of worship. Uh, we'll turn to Genesis 22 this morning. And this is one of those passages, guys. This is one of those passages in all of the Word of God that for us so clearly defines God's love for His people and the extent to which He will go to save them. Here pictured for us is the work of Christ for His people. And the drama in this passage is is overwhelming. You're supposed to feel it immediately when we open up in the beginning. And it's dramatic because it's absolutely crucial what's about to take place. Calvin says it this way, in the person of the son Isaac, the whole salvation of the world seemed about to be extinguished and to perish. It's almost like the ark. Here is mankind and everything turns on what happens to this son. And this morning, uh, I want to present to you the, the center of the passage, what we're aiming for. For instance, it would be right to say, Abraham has such remarkable faith. I must be like Abraham. Or to say, what is the Isaac in my life that I should lay down on the altar before the Lord? These things aren't wrong in themselves. But the center of the passage is God Himself. It all hangs on the Word that God says, the Lord will provide. And so that's our aim this morning, is God and His Son. Can I pray before we read? Our gracious God, what a Word You have set before us. When You speak, we are to listen. When You speak, we are to say, here I am, Lord. And so, as You find us this morning sitting and waiting, would You proclaim to us by Your Spirit the beauty of the, of the Word, the beauty of the salvation that You give to Your people. And Lord, may Your Son, Jesus Christ, be magnified in this hour that we might know Him. Rest all of our faith in Him. Save us, O God. Strengthen us by Your Word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Beginning with verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham! And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood... But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God 
will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sands that are on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after those things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hadso, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Reuma, bore Tabah, Geham, Tehash, and Maacah. This is the word of God for his people. Amen. Well, there's a, a lifetime of contemplation to be done in this passage but we will focus in on and glean what we can in our short time on three things. One, refining faith. Two, lift up your eyes. And three, the covenant of grace. Refining faith, lift up your eyes in the covenant of grace. Refining eyes. I want to set before you the landscape in this first point of, uh, to help us understand uh, the redemptive uh, panorama that is set before us of what God is doing in the whole of the Bible. Uh, in this passage, there are five key figures presented to us. Well, really six, but we're going to save him for the last point. God, Abraham, Isaac, Israel, and us. And as we understand uh, the role that each of these figures play, we will understand how our faith is refined and it's, it's focused on the overarching theme of, of God's redemptive purposes. As the object of the drama, first we have God at the center to which all the lines are drawn to Him. Verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham. It's only God who is qualified to test faith. 
Because He is the object of faith. Scripture tells us that we are not to test the Lord. For He has nothing to prove. He has nothing that is shapened and strengthened, uh, uh, strengthened by trial. It was Abraham's faith that needed testing and refining. His faith isn't to be situated in the land that he was promised. His faith isn't to be situated in now this great name that he has in the land. And it isn't to be situated at the Son who now stands by his side. But in a God. A God who called him and made great promises to him. A God that rescued him out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. This redeeming God. So we're to see that God is the one who tests. The one who reproves. The one who shapes us. The Lord over all circumstances. The one who is the teacher and the provider. And so we see in our narrative that He is the one who calls out by His Word. And we are the ones who respond, Here I am, Lord. He is the one who lays out instruction of what He requires and we are to obey without protest like Abraham and Isaac. He is the one who provides the Lamb and gives reassurances of His promises in verses 16-18. through He is the one who provides salvation by His own hand. He is the center and the key figure of this passage. So then we can turn and look at Abraham. And note his response. He, he serves as this exemplar. A man who has been refined by faith to trust God even in the most uh, radical and unimaginable circumstances that are now laid before him uh, by God. Go, sacrifice your son. Is there anything more precious to Abraham than his son? He tells us, Yes. Yes, there is. It's God's commands. It's God's presence. It's God's promises. How else could Abraham do what God has asked of him? And and we can marvel at his obedience. Before this this instance, this, this man was a man of great protest, wasn't he? He stood before the Lord and said, God, I have a better plan. Why don't you take Ishmael instead? Or or he protests and said, God, but Sodom, uh, uh, for this number would you save them? For this number would you save them? Or he's a man that protests. Don't don't make me send Ishmael out into the wilderness. Or a man that sees the circumstances laid before him by God and sees famine in the land. He goes, I'm getting out of here. I'll go in my own strength. I'll go down to Egypt. Forsake this land. Or or a man that twice, because he fears for his life, says, tell him that you're not my wife so that I might live. He is a man who has tried his own way and he has failed many times. Listen, there's a bit of Abraham in all of us. (laughs) We protest the hard things God asks. We take and receive the easy blessings, but when the rubber meets the road and God truly tests the metal of our faith, protest is the natural inclination. 
But Abraham shows us in this passage what it means to trust God in all circumstances, to know His promises, and to believe that He has an unchanging character towards us, that He will never change His mind, and that we're to move in obedience even when we don't have the foggiest idea of what God is going to do in the midst of this. That's what. Uh, that's how we reconcile the circumstances with the God of promise. Abraham does this. It tells us in Hebrews eleven nineteen. He tells us the degree of faith that Abraham had, not knowing what God was going to do. He says he considered that God was able to even raise Isaac back from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. That's the kind of faith he went with. Resurrection faith. It's the kind of faith we're called to have. The the everlasting God that we ended last week with Abraham worshiping. The one that he he set up an altar and worships the everlasting God in the land of the Philistines was also the one who gives everlasting hope that even death would not quench Abraham's grounded faith. And then we come to Isaac in the narrative just a child, and to place ourselves in his shoes, we see a helpless child placed in a hopeless situation. Children, can you imagine mom and dad saying, hey, we're going to go on a camping trip. And they take you on the camping trip and they tie you up and place you right next to the fire. Can you imagine? (laughs) This is the situation Isaac finds himself in. This poor kid was made to carry the bundle of wood that would burn him in verse 6. All the while wondering what the rope and the knife is for because, Dad, I don't see a lamb. No doubt this boy who is uh, named Laughter had seen the joy of his father and the mother over him, surrounding him. He'd been aware. They'd have told him the promises concerning him, what God was doing, and he bore the mark of circumcision in his flesh to remind him of those covenant promises, and yet there was no lamb anywhere to be found to save him. He was the hinge, as I said earlier, upon which all the promises rested. And in these few moments in chapter 22, he feels, he looks by all appearances to be utterly forsaken by his Father and by his God. But forsakenness was not going to be his destiny, for that was reserved for another son. Isaac was the vital son through whom all the promises of the covenant rested. And he makes no, it's strange, but no protest to preserve his life. He is powerless in both strength and means to save his life. Oh, aren't we Isaac? Bound by our sin. Bound for the fire. Silent because there is no protest that we could give that would preserve our own life. We are the ones who have to wait on the Lord to provide a substitute or else we die. Isaac was forsaken but redeemed by a lamb. 
And there's also in this narrative the unseen characters, the unseen people tied to this drama. Israel receives this message from the hand of Moses as a reminder of, of where they have come from, who has been leading them in the wilderness and protecting them and watching over them, who it is that saved them from the hands of Egypt, from the, the biting snakes, the serpents in the wilderness, to take them to, to, to the land that's literally flowing with milk and honey and has houses built for them. As Romans 9, 7-8 through says, Israel isn't flesh and blood from the line of Abraham. But Israel are the spiritual children of the promise who are counted as offspring. It's to teach Israel this. So, Israel's pictured and taught by this passage and this leads us to us. We are the final characters in this narrative for we are true Israel. It is our spiritual hope that rests in this drama, we are called to Abraham's faith, to Isaac's need, and to God's promises to provide salvation. We are the ones that God tests in faith and refines by trial and assures of resurrection and saves by substitute of the Lamb. So that having understood this then, He refines us, refines our faith to see these things. Then we move to our second point. Lift up your eyes. In essence, this whole passage is calling us to lift up our eyes and take note of what God is doing. Verse 2, God called Abraham and He lifts up His eyes implicitly to say, Here I am, Lord. And then God has him turn his eyes now to his son. And He says it again, His, his only son whom He loves. And to look to Moriah where he is to offer him as a burnt offering. As we look at it, we see God seems to be indicating a a requirement of, uh, it's strange to say, human sacrifice. Now, he isn't like the pagan gods that Israel will encounter in the promised land who sacrifice uh, their children to gods of their own making but it will go on to show a a more redemptive purpose of the testing of our faith to look upon the sacrifice and the nature of why Jesus had to come and had to die. In Adam, the man, we all were guilty and died with Him in His sin. And in Christ, the man, He died in our place so that we might live in His resurrection. Abraham shows us that he, he lifted up his eyes to the promises of God so he was able to lift up his feet that next morning in obedience. He lifted up. He rose up out of bed early in the morning and he gathered his supplies. He got two of his servants. He chopped the wood for the sacrifice, and he traveled three days. We don't get any of the conversation that happened during those three days, but we realize when we get there that the servants still don't know what's going on, and Isaac still doesn't understand what's going on. This man's weighing these things as he goes into the wilderness. And then verse 4, after three days, it says he, he lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. You could skip over that part pretty easy. But it is significant. He was looking at Mount Moriah. 
for generation after generation, Israel would look up at this very same mountain and see the smoke always rising up. That from this same mountain, the rivers of blood would flow continually out of the temple. It tells us in 2 Chronicles 3 that this is the mountain, Mount Moriah, is where Solomon built his temple up on this very place where Abraham lifted up his eyes. Do you see what you're supposed to do here? Lift up your eyes. Something profound and significant is unfolding before our very eyes in its proto-form here. God never lets His words go to waste. It's a small detail of the narrative, but it is detail for all of Scripture. Israel would look up at this same mountain as Abraham and Isaac. And like Isaac, we, we, we first look around in verse 7. Say, my father. Abraham says, here I am, my son. He says, behold the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So he took up the knife as he was told by God. As he had it up, God speaks and says, stop. And then it says once again in verse 13 that Abraham lifts up his eyes. And he looked. And, and behold, behind him was a ram that was caught in a thicket by its horns and he offered it up as a sacrifice instead of his son. Oh, can you imagine the relief? Especially for Isaac. <laughs> oh, dad's going to use the knife to cut my bonds. <laughs> And he's going to use it on that lamb instead. And so Israel would look at this mountain and the smoke and the lamb and the altar and see that God sends up the atoning sacrifice for their sins instead of striking them in His wrath. It is laid on a lamb in judgment. And we also lift up our eyes and see what Abraham meant in verse 8. God will provide we in faith turn our eyes to this mountain and see on that same hallowed ground that, that though we were, were bound in our sin and helpless, God provided a lamb for sacrifice in that same spot. God's Son, His only Son, was offered up as the sacrifice who took the death and curse of Adam that all mankind faced, who was the seed, Christ being the seed, which all the covenant blessings hung, <laughs> and who was sacrificed on the cross in our stead. No one will ever look at this mountain the same way. Verse 14, So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day on that mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. What shall be provided? <laughs> the Lamb who will be the substitute for sinners. Abraham and Isaac and Israel and us. Look at that mountain with this kind of hope. Where do your eyes turn to look for help? Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my hope come? Where are you looking for your salvation? 
Turn your eyes to the mountain where God did not spare His Son for your salvation. It's so easy to turn and to look at your circumstances and say, God, where are You? What kind of work is the eternal God about here in this trial and this suffering and my surroundings? He's working in the shadows here in Genesis 22. But soon, the full light will come into the world. And in Christ, we will see what He is doing. By His Son, He makes us sons and daughters. In our helpless estate, He is our help. By His provision, we are spared from the fire. And by His promises, we will have the everlasting promises first given to Abraham. Eternal land, and eternal life, and eternal presence of God now realized, now, today, in our faith in Christ Jesus. So He presses us presses our faith to believe it is true, to lift up our eyes to our salvation so that we can see all this covenant language that we've been experiencing for the last ten chapters points to God's gracious nature. And our last point, the covenant of grace. God is defining the key elements of the covenant of grace in this drama, which is ultimately about the sixth person in our passage Christ Jesus the whole of the scriptures is unfolding this drama undoing the curse of death from the garden providing a substitute and and securing uh, for himself a heritage of people and this chapter shows us Christ our problem and the means of our salvation it, it, it verse shows this in Abraham we see a father's resolve to offer his son. And we see that same resolution in God the Father. The same resolve. He doesn't stop his hand though. It says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he was resolved to give his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was the will of the Father that Jesus submitted to in the garden and prayed, not My will be done, Father, but Your will be done. Christ then is our Isaac. He is the innocent one who, who silently submitted to the, the will of the Father. And what is more, He carried Himself the implements of His own death. He bore on His back the wood for sacrifice. And the Father did not stay His hand, so to speak, when the knife came down and struck His Son. And Jesus, the better Isaac, didn't look around and say, where is the Lamb? It wasn't found in a thicket. He was the Lamb. The One whom John the Baptist saw and proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is what Christ knew at the Last Supper when He was breaking bread and pouring wine at the Passover feast. That He would be the everlasting and the final substitute for sinners. And just as the covenant God made with Abraham rested in the Son of promise, so does the covenant of grace rest in the promised Son of God. That's how our book opens. 
After man fell and God's speaking to the serpent and to Eve and to Adam, He, he says, listen, uh, from this woman will come the seed whose, whose heel will crush the serpent's head and He Himself will be bruised. The Son would come and, and break the curse of sin and defeat the stronghold of Satan. And against His people, the gates of hell will not prevail. Why? He tells us in the reminder of the covenant blessings there at the end that we will possess the gates of the enemy because He is undoing the curse, the Son. And He's giving to His people this strength as they go into the world declaring Christ and Him crucified that it breaks the very stronghold of Satan. Everything hinged on the son of promise for Abraham. And this is why he knew God would raise him from the dead. So everything hinges on the son promised and given. Everything hinges on this greater son by his death and resurrection. We would be raised from sin and death. Paul says in Romans 8, that what is pictured in this story of a father who will stop at nothing says this, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all was showing forth His everlasting love for those who believe upon Jesus Christ. Do you feel the drama of it? Abraham was resolved to sacrifice his son as God was. And it is His will. It was His will that He would not turn from striking Jesus. In fact, it was God who would bear the cost of sinners by Himself and through Himself in the God-man, Jesus Christ. God raises the knife. God strikes. This is what Peter means in 1 Peter 1. You were ransomed. You were purchased. You were saved with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, He was was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through Him are believers in God, who are raised up from the dead and give Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen? Yes, Isaac was raised up. He had his bonds cut loose, but he wasn't raised up without the blood of another in his place. Do you want the bonds of your sin cut? It will never be so for you unless the Son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, bleeds in your place. The grace shown to Isaac is the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace did not change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It has always been about the chosen Son of promise. God always saves sinners the same way. He saves by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus. Oh, how Isaac was desperate for a substitute. Dad, where's the lamb? Oh, how we are desperate. God, where is the Lamb for me? Must I bear the knife of Your judgment? No. God will provide and has provided Jesus, the Lamb of God, who is the propitiation for our sin. Jesus had to be made man to stand in the place of man, to know us in every respect 
yet without sin, to be the only acceptable sacrifice. As we covered in the evening service, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might receive and become the righteousness of God. So this covenant's for you. The way it closes out, 16 through 18, God reiterates the covenant to Abraham. Let's read it, but with a slight rewording. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, I have not withheld my only son. I will surely bless you and multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in my offspring, my son, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have heard my voice. God is telling us that his family will be huge. And it will grow to countless numbers and it will fill the new heavens and the new earth with Christ at its center. Where does that leave us this morning? I told you the aim was the glory of God. And under that aim, we see that the way God is honored and glorified is found in the other characters of our narrative today. God calls you as He did Abraham. He calls you to believe His every promises to be to you a father and to be your shield and your salvation. And He calls us to the same obedience that Abraham showed. This is a reflection of our faith. And He calls us to to look for a lamb to save us like Isaac did. And you will never be released from your bonds of sin and death without looking to the ultimate Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And in that, we submit to Him. We don't strive and work for our own salvation. We don't resist and try to do it our own way. We don't give protest. We submit and we trust in His grace. The Lord will provide Lift up your eyes. Where does your help come from? Is the holy hill of the Lord from Zion where our Savior was crucified in our behalf and He announced it is finished and He breathed the last accomplishing all that the Father sent Him to do. So what is the Gospel this morning? For the sake of sinners, God has poured out His grace and satisfied His wrath against sin in His only Son, Jesus Christ. And in Him, all the blessings of life and salvation are made really and truly ours. And He raises us up in a spiritual resurrection from death to life. And one day, you will see it with your own eyes. He will raise you up physically. And you will behold the Lamb of God. And you will dine with Him at His table at the marriage supper of the Lamb in the new heavens and the new earth. It is all true. Praise be to God. Let's pray.